We're going to be in uh, the Gospel of Mark again today, if you'll be finding that in your Bible. So good to see you. Mark chapter 14. Beautiful day to worship the Lord. I know some of you are very disappointed that winter has been so long in coming, but uh, it's, it's, it's nice, isn't it? I was talking to my brother this week in Texas, and this, this is like a Texas winter, what we're having here today, so uh, enjoy it. If, it. if it gets colder, we'll rejoice in it. If it doesn't, we'll rejoice in it. We're going to look today in Mark chapter 14, which is um, bringing us closer and closer to the appointment that Jesus Christ had on the cross. We've been making this journey through the Gospel of Mark for many, many months now, and we come now to the day that Jesus would be crucified. The Jewish day started in the evening, evening in the morning is the first day, and um, and we're going to look at that beginning in verse uh, 12. If you're able to stand, stand with us, please, for the reading of the Word of God. Mark chapter 14 and verse 12. Last week we gave our attention to the betrayal of uh, Judas Iscariot, one of those really, I think, one of the more emotional uh, events in all the Bible. In verse 12 we have these words, And the first day of unleavened bread... When they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? For the Jewish people, of course, this is a major event. One of the, one of the high days, maybe the highest day of their Jewish calendar. And uh, you may not be aware of this, but here we are in Jerusalem where they're going to be and literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands, some estimate as many as a million people would have visited Jerusalem on this very day for the uh, Passover celebration. And so that's what we read about here, the first day of unleavened bread. And let's pray as we get started. Father, thank you for your word. Please bless today as we study it together. Thank you for our church family, those who are our guests. As we gather here together with open Bibles, open hearts, Lord, hearts to worship you, hearts to learn, hearts to obey, to give you the thanks you deserve, and I pray that you would indeed bless, help us to grow in grace, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So it's the time for the preparation of the Passover, and um, just a little re reminder, maybe for those who are not so familiar with the Old Testament, but also for all of us, what the Passover really was about. The first Passover in the Bible was observed during the time of uh, the Old Testaments uh, and the slavery, the bondage that God's people had in Egypt. They were, they were in Egyptian bondage, the Bible says, for over 400 years. And so they cried out to God. And they asked God to send a deliverer, deliver them from their bondage. They were many, many, many miles away from their homeland. They wanted to be free. And God sent a man by the name of Moses, who, began, who he instructed to go before Pharaoh, the king, the king of Egypt, and say, it's time for you to let these people go. And if you remember the Bible, God sent numerous plagues, horrendous plagues, natural disasters, pestilences, many things to 
convinced Pharaoh to let these people go and Pharaoh refused to do so. And so the 10th of those plagues is what began the Passover and it was the most severe. This is what the Lord said to Moses and Moses communicated to Pharaoh that on a particular day the death angel is going to go through the land of Egypt. And in that night the firstborn of every family would die. The firstborn of all the beasts would die. If you could imagine what it would be like in this country or any country, any civilization, where in the dark of night, the firstborn of every child would die. And Pharaoh was warned, and Pharaoh once again did not let the people go. And so God told his people, the nation of Israel, the Israelites, he said, I want you to take a lamb, a spotless lamb, a perfect lamb. And on the 10th day of the first, it became the first month of their calendar, on the 10th day of the month, take that lamb, not a lamb you don't really like or want to get rid of, a lamb that's spotless, perfect, and, and put that lamb in, up for four days from the 10th to the 14th. And on the 14th day, every family would kill that lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put the blood up on the doorpost or the lintel on their house. And when the death angel passed through, if he saw the blood, he would pass over the residence in that home. And they did as God instructed. They killed the lamb. They put it up over the doorpost. And the death angel came through. And God spared his people that night because of the blood of the lamb. That was the Passover. That was the first Passover. It became a celebrated occasion in Israel. And they would, on the first day of the Passover, the, actually they called it the first day of unleavened bread. On the first day they would slay the Passover and then for a week they would keep all the leaven out of their house and out of their diet. And on that first day the Passover would be killed. That's what we read about here in verse 12. And the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover... His disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou go that we may and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? Now this is a, may seem like kind of a morbid thing to say, but you'd have to, if you, if you really could go back to that time and think about it, this was not just one or two lambs being killed on Passover. There were hundreds of thousands of lambs that would have been killed, and they would they would be killed, taken to the priest. The priest would slay them. They would take the blood and, and, um, and then they would take that lamb and they would roast the lamb and that lamb would be a part of their Passover meal. And so it says here in verse 12 that the disciples, his disciples said to Jesus, where wilt thou, we go, where, where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? They knew it was the time it was the time, it was the very day to observe the Passover meal. And the, and the disciples asked Jesus, where are we going to have it? I was thinking about this yesterday. These, these were true Baptists. And I know one of the ways I know they were was because on the day of the event, they decided we better start getting ready for this. <laughs> sort of last minute, no planners. Y'all ever know anybody like that? Don't look to the person next to you. But anyway, they offer, the, the disciples want to help prepare the Passover meal, where we're going to eat the Passover. And I could imagine that it was probably not even easy in their minds, how are we going to find a place? I mean, Jerusalem's full of guests, hundreds of thousands of guests. Where are we even going to find a vacant room? 
Please join me in verse 13 as we read further. It says, And he, send, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, Jesus did. By the way, the Gospel of Luke tells us that those two disciples were Peter and John. He sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, the city being Jerusalem. Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the goodman of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest chamber that I, where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? This is not the first time Jesus gave his disciples some kind of unique instructions. Where are we going to have this meal? And he said, Well, this is what I want you to do. Go into town, and when you see a man carrying a pitcher, just follow him. Stalk him. Follow him until you see him go into a house. And when he goes into a house, you go into the house. And when you go into the house, you say to the owner of the house, where's the room, the guest chamber, where we can eat the Passover with, our, with my disciples? In verse 15, he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. Verse 16 says, And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. You know, in my mind, I don't see how this could have ever gotten old for the disciples. I mean, Jesus says some pretty strange things sometimes. Just go find a man with a pitcher and just follow him. And when he goes into a house, you go into the house. And you ask the owner, could you show us where the room is prepared for us to have this? And the owner says, yeah, I'll show you the room. It's an upper room. I've got it ready for you. Only Jesus could do that. I love the language of verse 16 where it says, and found as he had said unto them. They were amazed that it was exactly the way Jesus said it would be. They found everything just like he said. They found a man with a pitcher. They found when he went into that man's house, there was an owner. They found that the owner was an unfamiliar, strange place. They found that he was already expecting them and had a room ready. And I, when I read that, I just marvel at the providence of God, at the wisdom of God, at the power of God. You know, sometimes we get all bent out of shape worrying and wondering about how things are going to turn out, but God's got a plan. And God showed them that. They found it just as he said it would be. I think it's interesting that they, they discovered this amazing thing as they followed him, as they went and did what he said. And I think that's a good lesson for us, just to mention in passing. You know, the more we do what the Lord tells us to do, the more we'll see how wise he is in telling us to do things. Sometimes we want to wait, wait, hold back, and I mean, you know, that's a pretty interesting assignment. I think you would agree. We want to hold back and say, well, I wonder, I wonder if he can really make this happen. I wonder how it's going to turn out. I would really like to think I could praise him for it. But you know what we find out really in life is the more we just obey him, the more we see he's right all the time. The more we do what he wants us to do. And so he made these perfect arrangements and preparation for them. It tells us also that even at this stage, just hours 
before he would be nailed to the cross, he still got absolute control of his life, of his circumstances, everything that's going on. On the day of unleavened bread, the day that the lamb was to be slain, Jesus, the lamb of God, God's lamb, God's perfect lamb, the lamb without spot or blemish would offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins and the sins of the whole world. And so verse 17 tells us, in the evening he cometh with the twelve. So Jesus came to that place with the twelve disciples. Verse 18 says, And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. We covered this last week about Judas Iscariot, so I'm not going to spend any time on that today, but let's just read the next couple of verses. And they began to be sorrowful, and to say unto him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him. He's going to go to the cross just like it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. And then look with me if you would please in verse 22. Because Jesus now begins to serve the bread and to serve the cup to his disciples. In verse 22 it says, And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave it to them and said take take eat this is my body so Jesus is serving the bread observing the Passover meal but and by the way they had done this numerous times before I was just reading this morning uh, in John chapter 2 where they observed the Passover that would have been the first Passover that Jesus observed with his disciples. So this was not the first time they had Passover with him. But this was different. Because of what he said. Look what he said in verse 23. He gave it to them and the, uh, excuse me, verse 22. And he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave to them and said, Take, eat. This is my body. This, this bread represents my body. Now, put yourself in their place, and, and if you're not uh, up to speed, really, on the things that have happened prior to this, these disciples were very slow in understanding what Jesus was going to do. And I'm sure even at this moment, they, they wondered, what does he mean by this? This bread, take and eat this bread, this bread is my body. And the, and the bread that they served, that bread was symbolic. It was unleavened bread. Unleavened means that there was no, what we would say, yeast causing the bread to rise. It was unleavened bread. And a part of the feast of unleavened bread was that you removed from your house. You searched every corner of your house, every place in your house, and made sure that there was no leaven there. This was unleavened bread, which means there's no foreign matter. And he said, take and eat this bread... Because this is my body. That bread symbolized, it was symbolic of the Lord's body. And by the way, when our church observes the Lord's Supper, which we do on occasion, we serve the bread. And that bread is symbolic of the body of Jesus. The body that was bruised and 
broken and battered for us. So, that, so he says, take and, eat, take and eat this because it represents his body. And then verse 23, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So then he gives them the cup. And he said, Drink this. And they all, they all drank it. The fruit of the vine, the Bible calls it, represented the blood that he would shed for them. And it represents the blood that he shed for us. And that, that wine, that fruit of the vine, was the pure juice of the vine. I know some, some people believe that it was wine, it was fermented wine, but the reason tells me that there was no way it would be fermented wine for a number of reasons. But one reason is because they were very careful about the bread being unleavened. There would, leaven, yeast, is a form of fermentation. And if the bread would be without fermentation, why would they drink wine that was fermented? It just doesn't make sense that they would do this. So he said, and he called it there in verse 25, the fruit of the vine. He said, drink this, drink this wine because it represents the blood that I was shed for you. Now, I, I don't know how, this, how you look at this, how this impacts you, how you think about it. But I'll tell you, it's a pretty graphic illustration for him to say, eat this, eat this bread because it's, it represents my body. Eat this, drink this wine, this fruit of the vine, because it represents my blood. And of course, he said in verse 25, they would not dine with him again like this until they would in his kingdom. And I, I just think this is a, for one thing, it's a good uh, symbolic reminder of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And uh, some people, some churches, some groups, they observe the Lord's Supper every time they meet. And, and I'm not just, I'm not criticizing them. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, as oft as you do it, you do it, you do it unto me. It doesn't say how often to do it, it's just whenever you do it, this is how you ought to do it. But I think doing it so often, it loses its, its significance, it becomes very routine. When we observe the Lord's Supper here, it's a very, I believe, a very somber, very serious, very worshipful occasion. And so, so he says, this is, I want you to eat this bread because it's my body and drink this cup because it represents my blood. You know, I go back to the Old Testament Passover, which all the other Jews in Jerusalem on this day were observing, which Jesus and his disciples were accustomed to observing. But that annual Passover was a reminder. And by the way, there were periods of time in, in, in Old Testament history when they neglected the Passover, when they quit observing the Passover. Now, God never told them to, but they did out of negligence. But the Passover was a very special occasion because it was a reminder of what got them out of their Egyptian bondage. It wasn't their good works. It wasn't their might or power or intellect. It was a miraculous deliverance that occurred because of the blood of the Passover lamb that was put upon the doorpost and the, and the death angel passed through. And that every year, for thousands of years, every year, 
on this occasion, they were to remember this. We were delivered from the plague that affected every other home in Egypt. And we were delivered from the bondage of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, the cruel taskmasters, by the blood that was shed. Now we don't, we, when we observe the Lord's Supper and we look at this occasion, we're not really focusing on Egyptian bondage and deliverance. But the observance of the Lord's Supper or just this remembrance today is a reminder of the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ and what He did for us. None of us are saved, if you're saved, if you're truly born again, none of us are saved because we deserved it or because we earned it or because we got so many merit points for being good religious men and women and boys and girls. We're only saved because of the blood that Jesus shed. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. And it ought to be remembered. It ought to be remembered in our worship. It ought to be remembered in our song. I love the fact that we, we sang the old rugged cross today. It's one of my favorite hymns to sing about the cross where Jesus died. And I don't know how everybody else feels about this. I, I, I hope you feel the same way. But I'll tell you, I never get over the fact that Jesus would die for me. That he would shed his blood for me. He was a real savior. He, had real, he felt real pain. He was not a man like you and I are. He, he was God who became a man. Sinless God. Holy God. Pure God. Undefiled. Without spot. Without blemish. And yet he took my sin, my sins upon his own body on a tree. He died in my place that I could be free, that I could be set free from my sin. And I didn't get set free from my sin because I got religion. I got set free from my sin because I put my faith in the blood of the Passover lamb. And he changed my life. And there are those of you here today and you don't really understand that. That's not really happened to you. You Maybe you know Jesus died. Maybe you know he hung on the cross. Maybe you know he was a good man. Maybe you even know he raised from the dead. But you don't know what it is to have him change your life. Salvation changes our life. It was that, it was that sacrificial lamb, that Passover lamb in Egypt that broke the will and the bondage of Pharaoh who finally said, that's enough. You can have them. Let them go free. And it was the blood of God's own son that set us free from bondage and sin. It ought to be a very special thing for us. And, you know, when we participate in the Lord's Supper and we eat the bread, it represents his body. And it's like we're taking that. Not his body literally, but it represents his. We drink the cup, it represents his blood. And I just want to say a word about this because I know some of our people grew up in different religions and some of them could attest to what I'm about to say. But those elements, the bread and the fruit of the vine, the juice, they don't literally become the body and blood of Jesus. That's, that's a dogma that the Roman, Roman Catholic religion believes that they call it transubstantiation, that when you take the 
Lord's Supper that it actually becomes the body. No, it doesn't become the body. It represents the body. And it represents the blood that Jesus shed. And what is Jesus teaching them? And, is Je- and what is Jesus teaching us in this? He's te- this, is what he- this is the lesson. This is the bottom line about this whole thing. And that is that we personally have to partake of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. We personally have to put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Your mom's salvation won't work for you. Your dad's salvation won't work for you. My my salvation won't work for my kids or grandkids. Every person individually, just like they ate the bread and just like they drank the cup, every person individually has to take Jesus Christ as their Savior. I want to move from this passage just for a moment. And go with me, if you would, please, uh, to the right, to the Gospel of John. And I want to read a passage, just a few verses, that speak directly to this subject. We're in John chapter 6. And what we read here became such an offense to the Jewish people and even the many who are followers of Jesus that they quit, at this point, they quit following him because they could not handle what you and I are about to read that Jesus said in John chapter 6. Look, begin, look with me in verse 47. I just want to read through some verses and please keep your eyes focused on these passages and internalize them, think about them, what they mean. But in John chapter 6 and verse 47, we have the words of Jesus, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers, talking about your ancient Hebrew predecessors, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. But this is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. They ate the manna that God provided. They ate the bread, but eventually they died. But he said, if you eat this bread, you'll never die. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So Jesus teaching them the same thing. You have to personally eat this bread. You have to partake of it. If any man eats of this bread, he'll live forever. Verse 52, the Jews thereof strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They didn't understand it. It didn't make sense to them. Jesus continues in verse 53, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Now can't you see how this would kind of be throwing them off? Drink your blood, eat your flesh, drink your blood. I have to do that to have life. But He's not talking about His literal flesh. He's talking about partaking of Him. You have to to personally receive Him. Look on in verse 54. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, 
and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Again in verse 56. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. I've said it before, I just want to say it again. He's not talking about his literally drinking his blood. He's talking about taking that blood for yourself. He's not talking about being a cannibal and eating his flesh. He's talking about taking that sacrifice for yourself. And, the, and a person that does that dwells in him. And, and, and I in him. Verse 57. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. See, this is the difference in a person just saying, I, I know God exists. No, it's talking about you personally receive him. And he says, he'll, you live by him. He gives you life. He gives you meaning. He gives you direction. He gives you purpose. He gives you eternal life. And he gives you life abundantly. This is what salvation is. Again in verse 58, this is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth at this bread shall live forever. Aren't those great promises? Whoever eats of this bread and drinks of this blood, whoever receives me, puts their faith in me, will live forever. We, here's the bottom line, as I said, we have to personally partake of him. We have to personally receive him. The blood, the blood had to be applied. The Old Testament uh, children of Israel, they could have had a lamb, and they could have even killed the lamb. But if they didn't take the blood and apply it to the doorpost, the death angel would visit them and they would suffer from the plague. You have to personally apply the blood of Jesus to your life. And not just you, but anybody that gets saved. We have to believe on him. We have to put our faith and trust in him alone for salvation. And when God sees the blood, he passes over us. I'm glad when God looks at me, he doesn't just look at my good intentions or my good works. He doesn't look at my track record, and I'm not saying that those things don't have their place, but when he looks at me, he sees the blood, and he passes over us when he sees the blood. Let me ask you something, young person. When God looks at you, does he see the blood? Does he see that you've applied the blood, that Jesus is in your life, that Jesus gives you life, that Jesus is your life? Does he see that? That's what he ought to see. That's what Jesus is teaching us. Have you done that? Have you personally, as an act of faith, as an act of faith in the sacrifice of Jesus and that alone, taken his broken body and his shed blood and applied it to your life as the payment for your sins? If you've not done that, you're not saved. If you're not done that, the death angel is going to come. Judgment is going to come. And when it comes, it will not be pretty. But if you've got the blood applied to your life, when he sees the blood, he'll pass over us. Because we've taken him. His sacrifice is the payment for our sin. He is our Passover. I was reading this verse this morning. I want to read it to you in 1 Corinthians 5. It's written to a church, the church at Corinth. It was written to a church because the church had some sin in the church that they weren't dealing with like they should have. 
And he said this, Paul said this, I'm going to get to the verse in a moment. Paul said, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And then he says this, I want to read it to you. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. You're to be unleavened. And then he says this, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrifice for us. We don't have a ritual. We don't have a Jewish Passover celebration. We have a Passover. His name is Jesus. God's Lamb. The one that John the Baptist said when he saw him. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. He's God's Lamb. He went to the cross to suffer for you and to suffer for me. And I I remember hearing many years ago people being critical of, I wasn't the pastor uh, of of that church, but people being critical of that church because they just preached about Jesus and the blood all the time. Isn't that something? And I know there's a lot, we ought to preach the whole counsel of God. But I'll tell you, I never get tired of preaching about the blood. Talking about the sacrifice of Christ. You know why? Because he changed my life. I I was in bondage. I was enslaved to sin. Nobody could set me free. But you know what happened one day? I personally took Jesus, his body and his blood as a sacrifice for my sin. And I personally partook of him. I took him as my own. And the moment I did that, my life was changed. Isn't that an amazing thing? Salvation's wonderful. And the blood of Jesus should never be taken lightly. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein. And every, every sinner that's plunged beneath that flood loses all their guilty stains. Isn't that an amazing thing? It's an amazing thing. Let me ask you today, do you know him? Do you really know him? Have you personally taken the blood of Jesus Christ as the payment for your sin? And can you say with confidence, I'm in him and he is in me and he's given me life. You say, well, Jesus said, if you eat this bread, you'll never die. That's what he said in John chapter 11 at the grave of Lazarus. I'm the resurrection and the life. He that liveth and believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Yea, he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. You say, well, we're going to die one of these days, don't you think? We're these bodies. Yeah, the body will play out, but we're not going to be here. We're going to go to be with the Lord. Amen. Amen. It's real. We'll, the new me will never die. Isn't that good to know? But if you're here today and you're not saved, that's not you. You need the Lord. You need to be saved. You need to put your faith and trust in him. And you could do that today. You could do that right where you sit. You could come here in a moment. I'll be standing at the front and say, Preacher, I I need some help with this. It concerns me. I'm not the judge. I don't know who's saved and who's lost. But it concerns me when I see people that never, ever seem to show any real interest in spiritual things. And I have to ask myself, are they truly saved? 
If Jesus hasn't changed your life, you're not saved. What a foolish thing it would be to, to go to the end of your life holding on to some false profession and say, well, I know I went to camp one time and I said this prayer and that's what I said to do. And I'm not against all that. I'm just saying this. Prayers don't save people. Jesus does. You have to personally receive him. You have to personally. And when you do, he changes your life. Has that happened to you? If it's not, you ought to come today and say, preacher, I need help. I want to get this nailed down. Because one of these days, the death angel is going to pass by. Wouldn't it be horrible? Wouldn't it be horrible to miss heaven? Not because Jesus didn't pay the price. That'd be like, that'd be like one of these Hebrew families killing a lamb and letting his blood spill out, but not putting it on the doorpost. And that's what some people may do. You ought to come to Christ today. And if you're saved, let's rejoice today that we are who we are and what we are because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. Let's stand together, please, if you're able to stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. With our heads bowed and folks are praying, don't dismiss what I'm saying. Don't let your mind wander to some other place. If you don't know Christ today, if you don't know that you're saved, you've just heard the best news there is that you can be forgiven, that you can be saved, that you can be cleansed, that your sins can be washed away, but you must personally receive him. You have to do it. You have to choose. Jesus said this once. You would not come to me that you might have life. You've got to come to Jesus by faith. I challenge you today to do that. I challenge you. I'm standing right here at the front. You can come to me and I'll talk with you and let someone else pray with you and talk with you. Don't let anything keep you from doing the most important thing you need to do.